I'm Nevin, and this is Cooking Up a Podcast. Each episode, I'm talking to people about food and cooking, telling stories, going on some adventures. This week, I went up to Vergennes, Vermont, and met David Dalgano from Shaxbury Cider. This episode, I went up to Vergennes, Vermont, sat down with David Dalgano at the tasting room uh, at Shaxbury Cider headquarters. My cider adventures started two years ago when I made my first hard cider with uh, Bill Perkins at Agricultural Hall in JP. He has episode number three of the podcast. If you want to go back and listen to him, but foraging for apples. And I started to get into cider and taste a lot of different ciders came across Shaxbury and they're doing some really awesome stuff, reviving some lost apple varieties and making some really cool wild blends and all sorts of crazy stuff with their cider. But they're also, um, become a really forward-thinking, modern company. They're collaborating with all sorts of different people. Um, they've done collaborations with natural winemakers up in Vermont, like Deidre Heakin from La Garagista. Um, they recently partnered with Krista Scruggs from Zaffa Wines, a uh, really exciting young natural winemaker up in Vermont. Um, and they recently opened up uh, co-sellers in Burlington where they're collaborating on all sorts of different stuff. It's like a tasting room and you can go and, you know, try all the stuff that they have going on. Um, Nat Krista's natural wines, as well as some crossover stuff, um, cider wines and hard cider. And, um, yeah, I mean, I haven't been yet, but it looks super cool. Can't wait to go up and check it out. Uh, anyway, forward thinking stuff, collaborative stuff. They're in with other cider producers like Petrategi Sargadoa in the Basque Country. They bring over uh, some of their some of their apple juice, some of their fermented apple juice, and make some of their own stuff. And they also sell um, Petrategi's Basque cider here. Uh, they partner with a lot of farmers in Vermont and create these one-off wild ciders, um, like Yoder Farm and Michael Lee from Twig Farm. They make his kind of like blend. They've partnered with Momofuku to make a cider with them. They just recently dropped, like really recently dropped, he talks about a little bit in this, but um, Ping Pong, which is a collaboration with Modern Times Brewing out in California, using hops to make cider, just all sorts of stuff. They recently partnered with Will Bryant, a really well-known artist, to come up with the can for their um, recent deer snacks. They're like, you know, once a year wild fermented Vermont stuff and it's super cool really beautiful they have murals going on the side of the building and stuff yeah I mean they're just like uh, they're creating a very collaborative energy and company that's just um, really starting to move things forward and create some really delicious beautiful stuff um, and yeah it was awesome to sit down with them and here we go. This is me and David uh, sitting down and talking about cider and all the things Shaxbury in Vermont.
Uh, hi, my name is David Dalgano. I'm one of the co-founders of Shaxbury Cider in Virgins, Vermont. So we are sitting in our, our tasting room, which has about 14 seats, and um, there's a big, beautiful window to look down on the uh, production space and cellar where we, where we make our ciders. Currently, our head cider maker, uh, Nicholas, and assistant cider maker Nick are working on filtering a cider for canning tomorrow. I think it's the uh, latest batch of Vermonter. Cool. It's so cool to see see everything so big and open. I, when I was down there, I saw like of these big fermentation vessels that you have. The only thing that I could recognize was that the the airlock is still the same. It's still the same <laughs> little airlock on top with this like huge stainless thing, and then yeah. the same airlock. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, the fun thing about cider making is that it's a very similar process from when you're uh, using five gallon carboys to when you're using a thirty barrel stainless tank (laughs) and in many ways making cider out of five gallon carboys is more difficult than making it in larger tanks (laughs) really why why is it more difficult than a smaller Uh, it's just something about um, more just, volume, yeah. yeah. more volume. It's just, you know, managing s- smaller tanks can be overwhelming and not having the sort of proper procedures in place for cleaning and right, right, right. that kind of thing. Yeah, stuff can slip just, through much more easy. Yeah, but maybe I'm just remembering back in the days when I when used to do learning. that. Yeah. <laughs> so thank God we have... Nicholas around. <laughs> yeah. Help through the process for sure. Yeah. He's, um, he's a, he's a real expert. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's start with, I guess, kind of around that time when you were starting to learn about cider and the starting of Shaxbury. And yeah. The- so I worked for Sunrise Orchards, um, a, a large wholesale apple orchard, fresh apple orchard, um, in Cornwall, Vermont here, uh, in 2000 and, 10 until 2013 when Colin and I started Shaxbury. And um, so my, my entree into the cider world was through the orchards, was through the apples. And I'm, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Kansas City originally. And we I just did not grow up with the type of apple culture and apple heritage that exists here in New England. And so I, I just honestly didn't think a whole lot about apples when I was a kid till I left Kansas City to go to college in Vermont. And um, But when I arrived here in New England, apples are a deep part of the heritage. They're a big part of everyone's lives and for, for good reason. Um, they've always grown well up here and they, there are still tons of active orchards um, up here. And so I just sort of fell into working for Sunrise Orchards without any, without any grand plan and um, really just fell in love with the apple industry. and Started to see opportunity yeah. within beverage making added value stuff. Yeah, exactly. In in fact, um, I was working on a... I was hired in part um, by Barney Hodges and Chris Hodges, the owners of Sunrise, to help think about value-added Apple products um, through a USDA Rural Business Enterprise Grant. And um, 
so we were thinking specifically about value-added apples okay. and yeah Colin and I met um, just sort of socially we both went to uh, Middlebury College and had a bunch of overlapping friends Colin was working in the town of Middlebury at the time and I was just outside of town in Cornwall and um, after many games of pickup basketball and all kinds of other sports we um, started talking business and after a number of conversations a number of months um, the idea of Shaxbury Cider was born. We, we were both deeply inspired right out of the gate by Basque Cider. We'd had an incredible Basque Cider brought to us by a mutual friend um, named Andy. And it's such a unique beverage. Yeah. You can't drink Basque Cider and not have like an aha moment. Whether you like it or not, it's, it's an aha gonna moment. Happen. Something's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. And we both just loved it. Um, we've always been inspired by making cider using a variety of, of different methods, but we, we're particularly inspired by winemakers, um, natural winemakers. Pretty early on, we adapted the Petnat method of carbonation into cider, and that cider has been a huge hit and a ton of fun to make. Yeah, so we, we've always been inspired again by by cider makers who use winemaking methods and by winemakers in particular natural winemakers yeah i would say one 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 ethos that we're we're definitely very focused on is the focus of fruit so we've always been very dialed with where our apples are coming from we've always had a very complex supply chain for finding apples but because we go above and beyond to find unique apple varietals from great orchards great producers we've always i think been able to make exceptional cider because truthfully i would tell nicholas our cider maker this right now the orchard side is much more challenging than the cider making side. Right. The hard work is done out in the orchard, yeah. and you're, you're you're on the front lines with Mother Nature, and it's it's tricky business growing apples and having fruit hang on a tree for you know six months. It's a lot can happen. Yeah. <laughs> so we've uh, you know definitely taken note from from winemakers we really admire that you just you, you gotta pay attention to the fruit and where it's coming from and what you're using. Um, so we have sources of wild apples we get. We've had a connection with an orchard in England, with a cider maker in Spain, with uh, Sunrise Orchards, of course, still being our single largest supplier of apples um, here in Vermont. You know, we, we've explored a number of different avenues yeah. over the years and um, in order to make compelling ciders. Um, looking at the wild apples for a second, um, we go out and forage. Um, we're picking from a bunch of different trees all throughout the Champlain Valley every year. Um, these might be up uh, at Blueberry Hill in Goshen, or they might be um, at Basin Harbor here near Virgens, or um, a couple of different sites in Ripton Lincoln. Um, and these are sometimes they're old dairy fields, sometimes they're random trees by the side of the road, sometimes they're in towns and it might be in someone's backyard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> any, any number of possibilities. Um, and these apples 
sometimes have the tannin or acidity to make really complex ciders. And it's very difficult to find high tannin apples from commercial orchards in the United States. They're just not really grown commercially yeah. yet. And so that's really what drove us to do the foraging. It's just a search for tannin. Yeah, a search to find those apples that have been forgotten about yeah. in the commercial side of apple growing yeah yeah exactly and high tannin fruit you know they tend to not be as desirable for eating and so when the hard cider market really dropped off um, during prohibition and coming out of prohibition it was non-existent you know any anyone who was growing high tannin fruit would have over time converted those to more traditional eating apples or maybe even take taken those trees out and turn them into dairy fields like around here in the you know 30s 40s 50s 60s dairy was on the rise in a major way and so a lot of uh, orchards were were stripped out for that that's cool the one one thing that i am interested in that you touched on for a minute was the like basque cider that you had gotten yeah and to me that like connection like they didn't have that interruption mm-hmm. of like you know prohibition it's been generation after generation after generation with the whole like really strong community built around the cider house yeah uh, yeah the Sagardoa has been an, an integral part of Basque culture for hundreds and hundreds of years. Their style of cider is very distinctive, and um, and it's and it's cool because similar to the winemaking community, there is a regional style of cider. I mean, there are cider makers now who make ciders that span the entire spectrum of ciders that you can make. There are sweet ciders coming out of Spain. There are sparkling ciders coming out of Spain. Method Champenois ciders coming out of Spain. And then, but of course, by and large, the the mo- most of the cider is cedar natural. It's just been such a fun tradition to learn from. Many of the cider houses serve the same meal. So if you go and visit, you know, you, you sit down and you're greeted with um, this sort of traditional cod omelet. And then, you know, you might have some chorizo that's cooked in the cider. And then the chuleta is the big kind of T-bone steak that's just absolutely mind-blowingly delicious you drink cider out of the barrel and yeah as much cider as you can drink coming straight from the uh chestnut barrels these massive massive chestnut barrels that are just gorgeous yeah and we still have an active partnership with petrategi owned by a really dynamic um amazing woman named inara otanyo she's the fifth generation of her family to run the petrategi cider house and they've just been amazing partners. We represent their brand here in the United States now. Sell their Cedar Natural here and um, a sparkling cider that they make. And then we bring over some base fermented hard cider that we blend into Arlo, one of our core ciders. And uh, so Arlo is about 80% Spanish apples, 20% Vermont. Really? And uh, makes for just a just a really distinctive cider. I, I think I can safely say that I've never met anyone else who's stupid enough to do what we've done with that cider. Okay. Okay. It's, it's uh it's a challenging supply chain to manage yeah, when you have apples a, coming from coming from 
But, you know, they just have apple varieties that we don't have here. Right. They have crazy Euskera names, the, yeah. the Basque language, which is a whole podcast in and of itself. Oh, man. And they're just, just gorgeous cider. It, it makes something distinct when we add some, some fruitier New England and eating apples to it. It kind of helps yeah. round it out a little bit, and we carbonate it naturally, and it's just become a huge hit. You know, food and wine late last year had literally a full page spread yeah. of the can. <laughs> it was like we opened it and we were like, oh boy. Whoa. A, I guess we're not going to rename the cider. B, yeah. I don't think we're going to discontinue this cider. And the sales this year have been, been fantastic. I mean, it doesn't sell the way our rose did or our Vermonter, you know, is currently, but it, it sells very well for the style of cider it is. Um, but you guys seem like you're doing a lot of stuff here to kind of create a community and a culture around the stuff that you're doing through different collaborations and um, different residencies and different events and all sorts of stuff like that. Is there anything that sticks out for you of late that you've been into? Yeah, well, um, we've been really overjoyed. One of the most exciting sort of collaborations and projects that has has come into our orbit Um in a big way in 2018 is working with the new winemaker, Krista Scruggs um, of Zaffa Wine. And she's making her 2018 vintage in our cellar here in Virgins. Um, we're working together to open up a small production and retail space um, in Burlington on Pine Street in the old soda plant. And she is a, a crossover producer. She makes wine. She also makes cider. We've never made a, a straight traditional wine um, just out of grapes, but our rosé is cider aged on red wine grape skins, and it's our top-selling product. So we've been experimenting a ton in this overlap of sort of cider and wine. Is it cider? Is it wine? You know, with our rosé, it's, it's made the primary ingredient are apples, but the primary flavoring comes from the grape skins, from the tannin and, you know, and obviously the color comes from the red, the red wine skins. Having a winemaker in house who's so inspiring to us on personal and professional levels and just such a source of, of radiance and energy for everyone here has been awesome. Um, and then on just a very tangible, practical, practical level, we have grapes and grape skins just floating around the cellar and we're working on a couple of ciders aged on grape skins from her wines and um, thinking about just a whole new kind of category of product and again is it wine is it cider yeah. i don't know it's just Who it's cares? really it's really something new yeah. what's important to us is that it's tastes fucking awesome and we're psyched about it and we're psyched to work with krista and it's just kind of like good feels all around and it supports the the overall ethos of yeah. making a product the way yeah. that you have and and again we when we started this company We've always been deeply inspired by wine producers, and now I think it's sort of safe to say that we are making some wines. It's been a whole new direction for us, but but the collaboration with Zaffa has has in particular been Exciting. a huge turning point for for Shaxbury in 2018, and yeah. just something that we've been. Um, we did a cider with Deirdre Heakin, who is so uh, one of the most inspiring 
winemakers we've ever <laughs> had the pleasure of knowing and, and working with. She um, and her husband Caleb have La Garagista winery and uh, make beautiful natural wines here in Vermont and have, uh, so Krista worked for Deirdre for a couple of years. We, in, in working with, with Deirdre, did a cider that fermented on La Crescent grape skins mm. that she had pressed last fall cool. and then just let them sit for about seven months together. Oh, wow. And then pulled it and kegged it, made 50, 50 logs of it. And we're actively selling it right now that, again, is it wine? Is it cider? Are we winemakers? Are we cider makers? Who really cares? The beverage is fucking delicious. (laughs) And bottom line. But at the same time, it's like, you know, if if country music stars and um, hip-hop stars can work together and make music, why can't winemakers and cider makers (laughs) work together and make fun products that may not have a clear name? It's it's in the air, you know. It's 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 in, it's affecting a number of different industries. Not obviously not just cider yeah. and wine. Taco Bell made a taco shell out of Doritos, you know. <laughs> it, the, poss- <laughs> the possibilities are endless. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, but there's a a brand collaboration that you know, you just sort of look at and you're like, huh. Well, this makes a hundred percent sense. You know, this company Doritos makes a crunchy thing that has crazy flavor crystals in it. And this company Taco Bell thinks outside the bun. And, you know, and I mean, so um, again, the, the possibilities are endless. Yeah, well, with you specifically and here, um, the collaboration with, you have a label. Yeah. And you can now collaborate with artists. Mm-hmm. How did yeah. the most recent yeah. thing come about? Yeah, so we um, just just wrapped up an awesome project with Will Bryant, who's an artist based down in Austin, Texas. And we um, we were just so honored to to get to work with him, um, and just had such a such a good time. Um, he came up with his family and did a little residency for a few days, and then um, worked on um, the second panel of a mural on the side of the building here. So the first panel was done by our. Um, graphic designer and artist uh, Anne-Marie Buckley, who's been our graphic designer since we started in 2013. And uh, and so she did a beautiful apple, because uh, as a cider company, you know, we have to have our take mm. on the apple uh, from a design perspective. Um, you know, Steve Jobs picked the right fruit, much as sometimes I'm a little peeved <laughs> when we're talking about search engine optimization oh, and some yeah. things like that. And you're like, Steve, could you have chosen a different fruit? You know, did it need to be apple? Did you need to use Macintosh as well? The, the main varietal grown here in New England? I mean, potential collaboration on the horizon, though. I mean, that. Listen, apple.com, if you're out there listening to this podcast, we'd be delighted to sit down and talk about a collaboration. We would do that. The Shaxbury MacBook Pro. <laughs> Shaxbury Edition MacBook Alt Pro in know, the works. Just saying. Just think about it. So, so yeah, uh, back, back to, back to Will and collaboration. Yeah. So he, um, 
he did uh, a panel on the mural as part of the residency, and then um, we just released the volume two of Deer Snacks, which is a cider made from wild apples, wild yeast fermented. And um, so it's a fun, playful label that really represents his style of art. And um, it's, uh, it's a project that we will continue. So we're um, about to start talking about uh, artists for um, the the next can uh, of Deer Snacks, and it may may maintain the same name, it may not, but um, but a, a limited release can cider made from wild apples that will definitely be yeah collaborated on collaborated with uh, an artist. An artist yeah. Yep, and then that artist will also do uh, the third panel of the mural. Oh wow! And then we'll have a fourth panel. We we had thought about coming out with a rosé spring of 17 and a few uh, devout de- devoted uh <clears throat> Shaxbury fans might remember the the original cider spritz oh, yeah. <laughs> which was rose as in rose petal um and um we we just didn't quite quite nail it mm-hmm. you know it was what we didn't end up making it the way um that we wanted to make it rosé season i think is you know probably rosés are becoming more year-round just because it's a category in alcohol that's growing so quickly but at the same time there's also clearly some seasonality like you want to have your rosé ready in the spring for summer and um I won't say that we missed it in 17, but we didn't nail it. And then fall 18 rolls around. We knew we wanted to make a cider aged on red wine skins, thus picking up tannin and flavor and also the color. And so we nailed it last fall. Colin got some skins from Ethan at Shelburne Vineyards. Oh, awesome winemaker there who has they've started a label called Iapetus that yeah. he is the brain his brainchild and so we got some some skins from them from their last their very last pressing of the year. Yeah. So we almost missed it again. Wow. Um and uh made that first batch it came out it was done you know, it was in the can at the end of December. The can label done by, again, Anne-Marie Buckley from Buckley Projects, the designer who's, who's been with us from the start. She just nailed yeah. the can design out, out of the park. I mean, it, it, it's, it's one of the most beautiful can designs that we've ever put out and that I would say I've, I've ever, I've ever seen. Um, and it's just been such a fun product to work with this year. And again, it just took off. We were like, Oh yeah, you know, this will be good. Well, you know, we'll start, we'll make just, you know, new product. We'll, we'll, we'll be conservative. And then it's just boom. Yeah. So we're like, whoa, we need more tanks. We need more people. We need more (laughs) labels. We need, ah, just it. A lot to handle. 2018 from a production side just got thrown into total disarray because that product grew so quickly. And so uh, I I guess we should have expected it, but we just, we weren't quite. When you tried it, were you at one point going to be like, this is it? Or was it after that when people started having the reaction to it that you were like, oh boy. It's a great question. And honestly, when it was canned and I poured that first one out right at the start of the year, 
we knew we had something. Yeah. We were like, this thing tastes beautiful. It's dry, but it's very drinkable. My my grandmother turned 90 this year, and I'm from, from Kansas City, and I shipped home three cases for her 90th birthday party, which was in the early spring. And like normally I'm ship, shipping home ciders like Arlo, and people are like, oh, our Vermont cousin, like, mmm, yum. And then like they drink two sips and you know kind of hand it off to somebody else. Right. People were fighting over the rosé. My mother didn't get any, and she was furious with me. <laughs> she was like, you gave away all of my rosé? I was like, Mom, we're going to make more of it. Just, it's okay. <laughs> like, I have, we more, we'll send it literally tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and I was like, okay. So that, that, that birthday party for me, it was like, okay, this is it. Yeah. something's happening here. Yeah. Bunch of people who don't normally drink cider just inhaled three cases of this. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. And fought over it. And I was like, we, we need to rework our production calendar. Um, yeah. So all of our fall releases got pushed back. <laughs> and again, it's just like, let us into this world of cider wine cider age on grape skins this was the bridge this and was that, the first kind of it was like, really the first yeah and and now we have we've done the largista collaboration that's out that's been a huge hit we've got a collab coming with krista for our upcoming production space and tasting room in burlington that'll be on draft as like the house cider cider wine um when that opens, you know, we've got some skins from Lincoln Peak Vineyard here just down the road who yeah. we've been friends with. The our, our, our business and our business plan, I've been talking a lot about winemakers and inspiration there, but we are we're also equally inspired by brewers, much as cider making is not brewing, there's no brewing involved. Um, and and much as our raw ingredient is very different, you know, they're working with grains, we're working with fruit. Um, there's still a ton of overlap, which is a really fun intersection between beer and cider because hops is a very agricultural product it's a very seasonal product um, there are lots of really interesting parallels you know in between sort of apple production hops production yeah. um, the Champlain Valley where we're based used to be the hop capital of the northeast before hops were grown out west um, so there's a, some sort of some fun history that connects in yeah. um, we are learning a ton about hops right now we have our first cider in the works called ping pong which is a collaboration with modern times that'll be cider dry hopped with citra and amarillo hops um, coming out in a hot, hot minute. It's an absolutely gorgeous beverage, and I, I hope we can make a lot more of it, and that becomes, uh, you know, an important part of our, of our lineup um, over time because there's a reason why hops are so popular right now, and it's just because they, they add such a dynamic character to, to beverage. Um, I think, you know, from, from day one, when when I started thinking about the hard cider business, it's like I, I knew that, for instance, I didn't want to start a company by myself. I was overjoyed to start this company with Colin and to work with someone who has such a distinctive skill set 
from my skill set and interests from my interests and they're very complementary or still are very complementary and it's just been such a such a source of, of, of happiness and um, in a way for us to sort of push the company forward and it was like right from day one it wasn't about like what I could make it was about what we could make and um, you know quickly we started working with Michael Lee from from Twig Farm and we still um, make a cider with him it's called the Twig Farm Cider uh, so he picks all the apples they're all wild apples and then we um, have them pressed and ferment it and bottle it and sell it for him really since the start like tasting his cider that he had made um so I mentioned uh you know Farnham Hill and Bass Cider as ciders that really inspired us to get into the business his cider was perhaps the most important of them all um so yeah from I, I feel like from day one the part of the ethos of Shaxbury was was thinking in a with a collaborative mindset and um so working with Michael, you know, that first fall to make a wild apple cider, um, and then that eventually developed into making the Twig Farm cider has been tremendous. And, and his, again, his cider, he had been making just on a, on a home scale uh, f- since like 2006 or 2007 probably. And those ciders were just absolutely gorgeous yeah. and really, really inspiring for Colin and I to get into the business because it was great drinking Farnham and, and the Bass ciders, but in the end of the day, we wanted to be able to make a cider here in the Champlain Valley. And so tasting something that really blew our minds that had also been made from apples in the Champlain Valley yeah. was the linchpin right. that continues to be one of the most exciting ciders that we we put out every year. Yeah, that was the first like, aha, like, yep. oh, wow. Yep. And that first vintage of Lost and Found got the Good Food Award, just presented by Alice Waters and uh, Nell Newman. And it's that award helped get us so many distributors. It led to the original piece in food and wine that led to even more sort of distribution and sales and in many ways like became uh, a springboard for a lot of what's happened in the past five years. So. Yeah, so the three core ciders are Dry, um, Rosé, and Arlo. So Rosé is, uh, it's a dry rosé, but at the same time, so low sugar, but it's fruity and very drinkable. If you're hanging out on a beach or um, on a boat or before dinner or after, I mean, really any time. Yeah. There's no wrong time to drink rosé, to drink our rosé cider. Yeah, and it's, most rosé ciders um, are just red food dye on top of a cider maker's base blend. This is an actual rosé cider made like a traditional rosé wine where it's aged on the grape skins. So picking up color and flavor from the skins. The, our, our dry cider is a nice balanced um, cider. It has a nice base level amount of tannin. It has nice acidity or crispness and good fruit. So it's really just think of it maybe like you'd think of a lager. It's just sort of like old faithful. It kind of, it's it's always there for you. (laughs) But it's a blend of nine different apple varieties. 
And so we'd get some fruit from an or that orchard in the UK that I mentioned, some high tannin cider from there. So that um, has been critical to giving that the structure, yeah. you know, so that it has some grip. Um, and then with just traditional New England eating apples on top of that, Mac Empire mostly. Yeah. Arlo is, again, it's like uh, mostly uh, a cider that's fermented by Petroteggi in Spain and then blended with um, uh, a New England base um, that's mostly Mac Empire. Right, which we talked and about that's before, yeah. Bone dry, um, it's naturally carbonated, and it's unfiltered, native yeast fermented, so people who tend toward sour beers or natural wine really gravitate toward Arlo. But it, it, it has pretty, pretty broad appeal. I mean, as a food cider, something you'd put with dinner because of the acidity. Um, think about Arlo with food coming out of, you know, coming out of the oven, roasted chickens or roasted meats, roasted vegetables uh, this time of year work beautifully with, with that cider because of the acidity. And then here in Vermont, we sell a cider that has been super fun. Uh, has the a label gorgeous label. Oh, it's so good. Anne-Marie knocked it out of the park. We sell as many t-shirts and stickers of this cider as we do <laughs> cans of it. And it's a cider aged in, it came out for Vermont Restaurant Week, which we uh, started to sponsor in t this year in 2018. So as our ode to our home state, the font used on the front is from the Vermont license plate. And there's, um, so it's, it's Vermont apples from Sunrise Orchards, 100% from Sunrise, aged on, uh, in uh, Bar Hill Gin Barrels, which is a spirits company based up in Northern Vermont. And then very, just a touch of back sweetening with some honey from Bar Hill because they use honey in their spirit making process. And then uh, coming out later this year, we've got a cider called Apple Hill, which is coming out in 16 ounce cans. We just made about 150 cases of it. Um, so it's another limited release. It's uh, a wild apple, beautiful old orchard in Rochester, Vermont. And so we make a cider, we've done it two years where there's been enough fruit out of just apples from that old orchard. One specific place. One specific place. So very terroir driven, uh, wild yeast fermented, unfiltered, no added nothing. Wow. And um, from there, you know, we have a cider club where we make, we have three ciders that come out every quarter. And so we have a bunch of, as you look around the tasting room, you'll see a bunch of bottle, you know, 750 ml bottles. And, and most of those are going to our cider club and are sold out of our tasting room. Um, and those are mostly wild apple uh, projects that might be barrel aged or they're, it's really Nick and Colin and, and the production crew just doing interesting doing stuff. what they want to just yeah, have a good time and ma make some fun stuff yeah <laughs> but limited release and pretty much all sold through here specifically or through um your cider club all that sort of stuff it's the only way to get it do you pretty ship much. the cider club is it yes yeah okay. yep so we treat it like a wine club um and so we ship to the states that allow it, that allow it it's maybe like 38 states and that's the way people can get in on some of this more interesting stuff yeah, that's going especially on especially if they're not within around. driving distance or, or, or around locally yeah. yeah okay so a few questions they'll be really quick and then we're done 
What is the last memorable thing someone else has cooked for you? Well, uh, so I mostly run the event side of, of the business. Um, my partner, Colin, doesn't handle that as much. But every once in a while, he has people over. And it's always a very special occasion when he does. And um, so we had a classic Colin Davis uh, hangout. And uh, he and his wife are building on a little extension to their house. And he just um, had this cool grill. It was like a cast iron grill. And he made these amazing hot dogs and sausages. And, and Colin is a lover of chips and has very specific taste in chips and interest in chips. And so the chip potato game chips. was potato chips. Yep, the chip game was, was on fire. The dip game was on fire. Popped a bunch of gargista. So the wine game was working out great. And it was one of the just easygoing Saturday night. Yeah. Ended with, you know, Colin's uh, five-year-old running around, uh, Asa running around, um, making everyone s'mores. It's just the best best kind of evening in Vermont and uh, fun night, so. What's the last memorable thing you have cooked for someone else? My wife and I love to host, so um, we have people over to eat a fair amount. I, I'm on a mission. No. And actually, now that I have a moment, I like this. I have some listeners. Wherever this is going, I'm 100% in. New England. (laughs) Barbecue. Let's talk about it for a second. It does not involve hot dogs and hamburgers. Barbecue is a cuisine. It may also be a grill, but your grill may also be considered a barbecue. Fine. But let's remember that barbecue is a cuisine. It developed in Texas in the South and my hometown, this Kansas City. This is the City, Kansas City coming out. Here we go. All right, I like it. Is one of the big players in the cuisine of barbecue and the history of barbecue. And I grew up eating a lot of delicious barbecue. So um, again, not hot dogs and hamburgers, New Englanders. That's not a think smoked brisket. Think baby back ribs. Uh, you know, um, meats that require low heat and smoke and time. Um, And so I frequently have people over for smoked meat, for barbecue, proper barbecue. And uh, I did a traditional Casey-style brisket with some burnt ends, which is one of the most famous um, barbecue uh, part, parts of barbecue that have come out of Kansas City barbecue and uh, had a bunch of our friends over for um, for some good barbecue so oh, I'm, I'm on a mission to spread Casey style barbecue to Whoa. as many people in New England as I can and, and remind them that they can go and have many grill outs with hot dogs and hamburgers but barbecue as a cuisine. The uh, head, the beverage director for um, Momofuku, awesome guy named Jake Lewis, is from Houston originally. And we've been talking for a year and a half about having a competition, Texas versus Kansas City barbecue. 
uh, Jake versus me. <laughs> Showdown. He's based in New York. I'm based up here. We've identified the Hudson Valley as a middle ground oh, yeah. for us both to uh, fire up a smoker and, and give our best. And uh, so that'll happen someday. We'll be yeah, sure you get, beverage, you get an invite. <laughs> beverage-based barbecue throwdown. I mean, you guys are both in the bed. You're yeah. not trained chefs or anything. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Hopefully at Suarez Family Brewing in, uh, in the Hudson Valley. Cool. <laughs> uh, last question. And I guess maybe you just answered it. I don't know. What's the most memorable food um, that you had growing up? Yeah, barbecue um, or or Stroud's Fried Chicken, which is another um, famous restaurant in Kansas City. And the owner lived um, across the creek (laughs) from my house and through this epic Fourth of July celebration every year. So um, he was like a, a, a big figure in my youth, a fellow named Mike Donegan. But barbecue or, or Stroud's fried chicken. Stroud's fried super chicken. Hel- super helpful foods. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now my mom it. works and has worked at Whole Foods for, I think, over over a decade. And so we also, you know, the kale game in the, dro- in the Dogano household has gotten strong, too. Yeah. <laughs> Balance it's not out all, all barbecue and fried chicken all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Cool. Absolutely. David, thank yeah, you very much. Absolutely. I Thanks appreciate your time. Yeah. Cheers. Right on. So there you have it, a barbecue throwdown, Kansas City style, Texas style, whatever style, hopefully out at Suarez Family Viewing, the middle point in uh, the Hudson Valley, or Hudson, Hudson, New York, and maybe maybe I can tag along and document what happens out there, that'd be pretty sweet. Anyway, thank you, David for taking the time to sit down with me. Really appreciate it. Love the stuff that you guys are into. And I hope you guys enjoyed hearing from David and uh, getting into some cider stuff. And we'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening to Cooking Up a Podcast.